Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, June 10th, 2021. I am so grateful to be able to be with you tonight and that you have decided to put aside this time that we can study together. I thank every one of you for joining tonight. Tonight I have three pieces that I would like to share with you. I think we all understand that the Torah contains mitzvos, commandments, and narratives, stories, that teach broader lessons like values, lessons about character, and the narratives that are presented in the Torah are carefully curated highlights. Obviously, a lot more happened, a lot more was said, but the word Torah means teaching, and what is included in the Torah is what God decided that all of us need to know for all time. I can only assume that many people questioned Moshe or challenged Moshe throughout his 40-year career of leading the Jewish people. But only the conflict with Korach in our Parsha is preserved for us in the drama and the terrifying consequences that are described in our Parsha. Why? Why is this the most serious challenge? I mean, it seems on the surface to be a human resources problem. It's a staffing problem. Who gets the job? Aharon gets the job of Kohen Gadol, high priest. Korach claims, it's not fair. It's not just. I want to be, I want to be the Kohen Gadol, Korach says. But let me ask you a question. In all of human history, how many people feel that they were passed over for a promotion that they think they should have gotten? It's a lot of people. But no one else was swallowed up by the earth from making this accusation. Why Korach? What nerve did he hit that was so serious in God's eyes? So let me share with you the approach of the Rambam, Maimonides. The Rambam says that Korach's challenge was not just about who would get the job of Kohen Gadol, and it was not even just about questioning Moshe's authority. It was much deeper. It was an assault on the veracity of Moshe's transmission of God's word. Because, let's remember, Korach complained that Moshe gave the job to Aharon, Moshe should have given it to Korach. But Moshe didn't give anybody a job. Moshe simply communicated what God had commanded. It was God's choice that Aharon should be the Kohen Gadol. For Korach to rebel and to complain about that is 
to say, in essence, Moshe, when you appointed Aharon as the Kohen Gadol, you did it on your own. If you did it on your own, why did you choose him? Why not choose me? But to say that Moshe did that on his own is to make the entire Torah suspect and to undermine the entire structure of Judaism. The Rambam expands on this in his passage known as Yud Gimel Ikrim, the 13 fundamental beliefs that every Jew, according to the Rambam, is obligated to believe. And principle number eight is as follows. We believe, says the Rambam, that the entire Torah in our possession today, the five books of Moshe, the Chumash, was given to us by God through Moshe. Moshe was like a scribe receiving dictation. He wrote the history, the stories, and the commandments as God directed him. For it is all from God. It is all God's perfect Torah, pure, holy, and true. He who says that the verses in the Torah were invented by Moshe is considered by our sages to be more heretical and misleading than any other heretic. And Moshe understood what was underlying Korach's challenge. And Moshe understood what was at stake. In setting up the dramatic showdown between Aharon versus Korach and his followers, God has Moshe express that this is about much more than just who has the job of Kohen Gadol. God tells Moshe to say in our parsha, Vayomer Moshe, Moshe says to Korach, Bezos Tedeun, with this demonstration which is about to happen, the miracle that had never happened before and has never happened since, where the earth will open up and swallow whole this group of rebellious people led by Korach, Bezos Tedun, with this miracle, it will be known conclusively Ki Hashem Shalochani Lasos Eskola because that it was God who directed all of these appointments. Kilomili be. Nothing came from me. It was not my choice. It was not my decision. It was God's decision. Why is that so critical? Why is that the point that Moshe needs? for not only Korach, but the entire Jewish people to understand just before this horrific miracle takes place? Because only if the Torah is from God and not from man, Moshe or any other human being, only then do the mitzvos of the Torah transcend time and place, and human understanding. 
Only then are the commandments of the Torah binding on all humans for all time. And every word of the Torah has infinite meaning because it comes from God, not from a human being. God who transcends time and place and human understanding. There would be no traditional Judaism without this principle. There would be no sense of obligation within Judaism. There would be no sense of commandments within Judaism. There would be no sense of a relationship with the one who commands. That's why Korach was not just a disgruntled employee. His challenge would have undermined the entire Torah. And disproving him had to be decisive, dramatic, and unforgivable. And unforgettable. And it certainly was. Okay, so within our Parsha, of Korach, we have big issues. Authority, equality, who is the chosen leader, who is holy, rebellion, power, democracy. Big issues. Sivan Rahav Meir points out there is a line of commentary among our sages that sees the whole story from a different point of view. Our sages in the Midrash ask, why did Korach start a rebellion against Moshe and Aaron? So we've just discussed some of the big reasons. But our sages tell us it really started very differently. It started from Korach's wife. Korach's wife said to him, Look at Moshe and Aaron. By the way, he was the cousin of Moshe and Aaron. Look at Moshe and Aaron and look at you. Look how they have taken for themselves all the power and all of the honor and all of the leadership. And you're not getting anywhere in life. And she kept repeating this over and over again, every night over dinner, every night while watching television. She kept talking about what a loser Korach was. And finally, little by little, these lies penetrated and Korach was persuaded to rebel because of his wife. At the same time, our sages point to another personality in our Parsha, the wife of On ben Pelet. On, the son of Pelet, who was one of the people at the beginning of the Parsha that is part of this rebellion together with Korach. One of them is On, and he had a wife. On's wife saw that her husband On was being carried away by Korach's rebellion 
it was not going to lead anywhere good. She saw that he was going the wrong way. He was hanging out with the wrong people. He was hooking his hopes on the wrong horse. And Own's wife saved her husband. She managed to keep him away from the unfolding story. One woman built up, another woman tore down. And here's the lesson Sivan Rahab Meir sees in this line of looking at the story. Because what we learn ultimately from this approach of our sages is what messages affect us the most? The messages that affect us the most are the messages we hear at home, in our living room. The atmosphere of our home, the values, the jokes we tell. We may think that big, ideological, important discussions of great significance. That's what drives our lives. But it's really not true. What really drives our lives is what we hear at the end of the day when we come home and the door is closed and there is small talk between members of the family, in the living room, in the kitchen, in the bedroom. That conversation is at the core of our lives. It's not the big stuff. It's not what is said in public, but the private, everyday, small talk. And the contrast between these two women show us that the conversation we must work so hard to protect and elevate is not the big stuff. It's the private stuff. It's the stuff we talk about at home among the ones we're closest to. Allow me to share with you this story, which I heard from Rabbi Malik Biederman. A man came to his rabbi to discuss a problem that he was having. And the problem this man was having, he was married, he had a family. The problem is he was too quick to lose his temper at home. It's a terrible problem. At least this man recognized he had this problem within himself and he wanted to change. Okay. So he goes to the rabbi to be able to sit with him and to ask his advice. How can he improve himself in this area where he knows that he is falling short? But when he gets to the rabbi, there's a line of people that are waiting to speak to the rabbi. Each one has their own issue they want to discuss. The man waited his turn in line and finally... He came in to speak privately with the rabbi. Now, the rabbi knew this man. He knew his character. 
And the rabbi knew, without a word being said, why this man was there. So the rabbi said, before this man had a chance to even begin to speak, the rabbi said, um, would you mind, would you please let the next person come in first? There's a really urgent matter and Please let the next person in come first take, to take your place, and you'll come in after the next person. So the man agrees, and the man goes outside to wait. His turn. He's next. He goes outside to wait. He goes outside, and he's standing outside the window to the rabbi's study, and it happens that the window is open. So the man standing outside overhears the conversation of the next man who came in, right? Really, the next man should have been after him, but the rabbi said he wanted to see him first. So this person that took his place, the man outside is listening to the whole conversation, especially because the rabbi inside his study was speaking a little bit louder than absolutely necessary. But this is what the rabbi says to this second man in his study. He says to this second man, did you see the fellow who just left before you came in? Yes, I saw him. I want. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go outside and I want you to try to make him angry. Now, the man outside hears all of this because the window's open and the rabbi's speaking in full volume. Okay, so the man inside, listening to the rabbi, thinks to himself, well, that's kind of a strange request, but the rabbi asked me to do it, so I'm going to do it. So he goes outside. He goes outside. He pretends to be preoccupied. He stumbles into the first man accidentally, pushes him to the ground. He falls into a puddle. He becomes covered with mud. He's wearing a very nice jacket. The jacket is ripped. And this man, the second man says, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. Please forgive me. It was an accident. And the man outside says, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. It was an accident. No problem. Okay. Now it's this man's turn to come inside to speak to the rabbi. And the com he comes in and he says, Rabbi, I have a problem with anger. I lose my temper at home. Please help me. I don't want to be like this. Please help me. So the rabbi says to him, you know, I was just looking outside my window and I saw another man bump into you. I saw you fall to the ground. I saw you fell into the mud. Your jacket was torn. And I also saw you were very gracious. You were very calm. You were very forgiving. I don't see any problem. I don't know why you're coming to me. I don't see that you have any problem. 
So the man says to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, please excuse me, but I don't mean to be disrespectful, but you need to be a little bit more careful when you're speaking to someone in your study, in your office, and you have the window open and you're talking loudly, somebody could stand outside and they could hear what you are saying. I was standing outside. I wasn't trying to listen, but I heard very clearly, I heard you tell that man to come outside and try to make me angry. And that's why I was calm. So the rabbi says to him, and what would have happened if that had taken place at home? The man says, I would be yelling and screaming. I would have lost my temper. I would be angry. That's the problem I have. So the rabbi says to him, so why weren't you yelling and screaming now? The man says, because I knew you sent him. I knew you planned it. So the rabbi said to him, this is how you overcome a short temper. Whatever happens to you at home, God planned it. And God is watching you how you respond even more than what happened outside my window. If you can remember that and you can elevate the words in your home, then you will overcome this problem because those words at home, privately, the small talk, those are the words that will always be the most consequential. But there's one more necessary part to this. And this comes from another great rabbi, Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz. And without this, the previous story won't do any good. <clears throat> So the Talmud says, I, I mentioned this before, that On had a wife and his wife saved him. So the Talmud asked, what did she say to him? She said to him, On, why are you getting involved in a dispute between Korach and Moshe? If Korach wins, Korach is going to be the leader. If Moshe wins, Moshe is going to remain the leader. On, you're not going to win either way. You have nothing to gain from this argument. That's what the Talmud says. We're going to look more further into this a little bit later. But that's what the Talmud says. Says the Talmud in expressing the essence of this story, Chachmas Nashim Bansa Besa, the wisdom of of women, it just is unparalleled. The wisdom that women have is unparalleled. That's the passage in the Talmud. So now Reb Chaim Shulevitz asked the following question. What's so smart about that? <laughs> I mean, it does seem kind of obvious. You're going to get involved in a machlokas, in a dispute between two other people, you're not going to win either way. I mean, it does kind of seem that what Owen's wife said to him is rather intuitive. Okay, yes, 
Yes, it's good advice, but to say that that advice is unparalleled, that that's an example of the highest level of wisdom that exists, I mean, presumably, I think most of us would be able to figure that out. Why is the Talmud so complimentary about owns wife's insight and wisdom? Rav Chaim gives the following example gives the following answer. He says, yes, everybody knows this, but the chachma, the wisdom, is to remember such a simple truth in the midst of a heated moment. It's simple, but it requires wisdom and insight to apply it at the right moment. And all too often, that's where we go wrong. So one more story about a man and a rabbi. A man came to his rabbi and he said, Rabbi, my wife and I are having difficulty with Shalom Bayis. We have no harmony at home. We're not getting along. We argue. We lose our temper. It's just not going well at home. Rabbi, what should we do? It's been going on for years. It's very, very bad. What should we do? The rabbi said, one must give in. The man says, I've been telling this to my wife for 10 years, but she doesn't get it. She just won't listen. I keep telling her and telling her and she won't listen. So the rabbi repeats his words louder and slower. One must give in. And the man says, I know, I know, I understand, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring my wife because maybe if she hears it directly from you, then it will have more of an impact. You have to realize when the message is meant for you and not the other person. Okay. Let me share a third piece that builds on the last piece. All right. Owns wife saved him. But exactly how? What did she say? How did she say it? I gave you the short answer just a moment ago, but here's the full version. So this is a passage in the Talmud. Listen to what the Talmud says. The wife of On ben Peles saved his life because she said to him, what difference does it matter to you if Korach wins or if Moshe wins? You're not going to be any different in any event. On answered her and said, I swore an oath to Korach and his other followers that I would join their group. I swore I have to keep my promise. So his wife says to him the following words, Everyone is holy. Sit back and I will save you. So, the first thing she did is she got him drunk and she took him inside. Well, 
once he's drunk and he's inside, if the others were to come to say, okay, come, you swore you were going to come with us, he wouldn't hear them. Then she sat outside her tent. You know, according to traditional Jewish law, a married woman covers her hair. She uncovered her hair sitting outside the tent, something that in that context, no married woman would do. It's considered something that's immodest, and it's something that anyone who was about to approach the tent of own to get him to come, all right, you said you're going to come. No one's going to come close to the tent because there's a woman who's dressed immodestly. We have to stay away. Okay. So it's very important for a man to have a smart wife and for a wife to have a smart husband. It can save your life. But no matter how smart they are, it only helps if you listen. So how can we say something to our spouse or to a child or to a friend that is critical for them to hear, that may even save their life, when their view is so distorted, they don't see the danger they face. How do we say it so that it is heard? And this is the critical lesson that Owen's wife teaches us. Listen, please, to how Bailey Newman describes this strategy, a three-part strategy. There's a mitzvah in the Torah, to give tochacha, which we usually translate as rebuke. If we see someone who's about to make a mistake, we should try, if we're able to, to prevent them from making that mistake. But it is so hard to do properly because almost always people do not appreciate someone else telling them you're wrong. And all too often, if we try to intervene, we very often make the situation worse to the extent that our rabbis in the Talmud say it is it is virtually impossible to do this in a way that is constructive and effective. But here's the point. Tochacha, the Hebrew word tochacha, comes from the word hochacha, which really means proof, to prove something. And what the Torah is telling us in this mitzvah is that the way to influence another person to change is not through harsh criticism. It's not through angered rebuke. And it's not even about clever arguments. The only way to convince anyone of anything is with a clear and obvious proof displayed through consistent action and deed. Let's look carefully at what Owen's wife did and said. 
Own's wife wanted her husband to walk away from this. She realized that he would be swallowed up, destroyed, if he stuck with this band of rebels. So Own's wife did three things that were very wise and very thoughtful and that we can learn from to integrate into our lives. Number one, she started off with a question, not a statement. She didn't say to him, Own, you fool, you idiot. Why are you messing around crazy people? You're going to kill yourself. You're going to break apart the family. Instead, she started by asking a question. What do you think you're going to get out of this? Now, that's an interesting question. What is your intention by joining this group? And what she's really saying to him is, if the goal is that you want to be part of something that is bigger than just you, have you investigated the leader's mission statement? Have you thought about what Korach is really all about? And in starting with a question, Own was able to come to the conclusion himself. He was able to see the flaws in his thinking from himself. And her wisdom, the wisdom of his wife, was that she allowed him to be able to discover it for himself. That's number one. It is always a better idea to create a situation where a person can figure something out on their own without having to say it to them directly. That's number one. Number two, she reframed the entire situation. Remember the words. Own's wife said to him the following words. Ki kol ha'eda kulam kadoshim. All the congregation is holy. Now that's an interesting choice of words. Because Korach used the exact same words in rebelling against Moshe. Korach said, why Moshe should you be in charge? The entire congregation is holy. She quoted the same words, but she used them in a different way. She reframed what was going on. What she was really saying was, Own, I understand what your goal is. Because I know that you are capable of wonderful things. Ki kol ha'eda kulam kadoshim. You are holy. The others are also holy. Own's wife was able to reframe the situation to be able to see the virtuous component in Korach. He wants to come closer to God. She realized that by villainizing Korach, just to say, own, 
don't follow that guy. He's a terrible role model. He's going to lead you astray. She wouldn't get anywhere. What she did was she reframed it by recognizing what was good about it and then challenging her husband to think about if this path was actually going to lead there, which it was not. And number three, she made the mission to save her husband her own mission. She decided in violation of Jewish law that she would actively uncover her hair and sit outside the tent, which sent a message to anybody who thought of approaching that they were not going to approach, but it also sent a very, very important message to her husband who was inside. And that is, you're not alone in this. You are not the only one who has to struggle with this. I am going to struggle with you. I am going to be active alongside you to get us through this. And that is what we have to do if we want to give tochacha. We have to make that person's mission our mission. We have to recognize that what that person is struggling with, it's hard. It's not easy. We can't just point out somebody else's lackings and flaws. We have to offer solutions. Someone who's about to make a mistake doesn't need our opinion. They need our commitment. It requires sacrifice. It requires humility. The rabbis in the Medrash go further and they say when the earth opened and Korach and his followers were swallowed, On, who was back in his tent in his bed because he was inebriated, the bed on which own slept began to slide into this opening into the earth and own's wife grabbed a hold of the bed and cried prayers to heaven to save her husband's life that's what it takes to help another person who's about to make a mistake to be willing to grip the bed, to be willing to fight hard to help the other person, not just to offer criticism. It's hard. Tochacha is rarely successful because we rarely do it well. But we can learn from Own's wife that we are capable, if we follow these lessons, we are capable of influencing another person to do good and not to make the wrong choice. But here's the key. The key 
is that the wife of On had a love for him that was so deep. She did not judge him. She did not see this moment of weakness as all-encompassing. She was committed. She would not abandon him. And that's the level that we need to arrive at. The wife of On was not looking for an easy way out. You know, all too often people play games in relationships whose fault and assigning blame and avoiding the real problem. That's not how it works. If you want to be successful, the wife of On knew that in order to succeed at something that is so important, we must make up our mind to devote our entire being to this cause. That is the only lifeboat in this world. That is the only way to save someone else. If we're willing to do that, then at least we have a chance of succeeding in being able to change someone else's path in life. My friends, I want to thank you very much for joining tonight. I want to wish you a great night, a wonderful Shabbos. I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.